<laughs> Total dead air. <laughs> Good thing we don't hell. go out live. Talk about Starmer's thirst for alpaca death. That was that really good defense of Ken Loach. The defense of Ken Loach is just like the Wikipedia list of his filmography. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, yeah, we haven't even like talked about all the shit that's not just like the latest shit, but all the shit that just like the those wankers like saying how terrible his films are and so on. I'll just search Ken Loach defense. He'd probably be like, Owen Jones defending himself against having ever defended Ken Loach. <laughs> Wank. Yanis <laughs> Varoufakis in defence of Ken Loach, that's not it. I think it's really funny how many people on like the Labour Centre and right. Obviously there's your headbangers who've been gunning for Loach for years, but a lot of them like waited until the moment Loach himself confirmed. Yeah, they're trying to chuck me out or they're expelling me because of my links with one of these groups to suddenly be like and all his films were shit <laughs> and I have always yeah <laughs> completely without merit before they... that they'd be like oh it doesn't matter if you've made good films this is a bit concerning and then suddenly it's like no I always hated him ha <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's no longer yeah. got the Labour brand in his defence they're literally waiting for like confirmation that the leadership thought that was okay for them not to like his films like, <laughs> probably thinking like oh we've had melt leaders before and used ken loach to do some of our broadcasts so i'd better make sure starman doesn't like him first just cowardice <laughs> isn't it cut my life into pieces this is my last resort opposing the, the government and opposing the conservatives i'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control they want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices i don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any dissent whatsoever. We know who the hard left are, who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda, printing money, nationalisation without compensation, hard left wing position, hard left, the 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 hard left, Oh yeah, I'm already recording. Well, three, two, one. Hello, welcome back to Real Politic, everyone. It's I'm Jack. Um, do 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 take two. Do my surname. I'm Jack Frayne Reed. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Yaya Rice. Yo. Returning to the show from a sort of semi-paternity leave. Yeah. Not that he, he's semi-had a child. He has <laughs> f- fully had a child, but he has still been doing some stuff with us. Welcome back, Yair. Yeah, it was great. Great to have a baby, cute baby. Uh, great to be back. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And we've also got Geraint with us today. And of course, that's going to come in useful when we're ripping on melts who Yaya probably hasn't heard of in a lot of cases <laughs> especially since I've been even more out of the loop yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you've heard of Ken imagine, Loach. yes imagine I know who that having is having a wholesome life with a newborn child instead of obsessing over absolute cunts <laughs> in the labour party <laughs> <laughs> couldn't be me <laughs> let's talk first about the good news so I 
pretty much laid out my position on the Unite General Secretary election on a previous episode of the show, which was that I was supporting Steve Turner, because as far as I could see, he was the viable candidate for the left. But I wasn't doing so with much enthusiasm, and I don't give a shit if people call me a crank for this, but I enjoyed the vituperous element of the... <laughs> the Howard Beckett campaign. Yeah, I fucked this up so badly. I obviously was trying to use a big word, and I meant vituperative. Just listening back to it, I was like, ah. And yes, yes, I am listening to Drake. That is what you can hear in the background. <laughs> Look, I mean, it fucking just goes in one ear and out the other, and I want music on while I'm editing the show. Not anything lyrical. Drake's not a lyricist. Shout out to Quentin Miller. Shout out to Pusha T. So I was ultimately behind Turner, as Beckett himself was, but I was hoping there would be a bit more fire and brimstone, you know? And it seems Steve Turner didn't, I guess, inspire enough people with his I'm not Gerard Coyne message to win the general secretary position of Unite. But the good news is that Gerard Coyne, who obviously we fucking hate, like just one of the worst people in the world, did not become the General Secretary of Unite. It instead went to Sharon Graham, who was the other left winger in the race. And there was a lot of talk about how there should only be one left wing candidate in the race because it was going to gift it to Coyne last time in the Unite General Secretary election where Len McCluskey was re-elected a few years ago. He very narrowly won a victory over the dastardly coin. So this time there was a lot of concern when there were three different left-wing candidates and, and, and you know I think ultimately Howard Beckett was right to pull out because God knows how the vote would have gone if there were three who were actually mm-hmm. um, on the ballot paper but nonetheless a sizable amount of people went for Turner and yet more went for Sharon Graham and coin actually ended up coming last which is fantastic it shows there's no appetite for his slimy murdoch approved blairite politics he trade came, unionism for the bosses he came third in a two horse race and <laughs> if there had been one left candidate if the other two had decided to get behind one or the other he would have lost something like 7129 or something like that it would have been two and a half times the votes to the left as the right Mm-hmm. I can only imagine, although both were low turnout, that the only reason it was so close last time is because the incumbent, Len McCluskey, was running and has himself, because of his long tenure, been the victim of <laughs> a long, long, long series of tabloid smear attacks, as well as some regrettable associations with people like Tom Watson yeah. in the past. I guess regrettable them being friends. In the past, you mean? In the past, in the, in the Cause, past, Because yeah. I don't think yeah. it's regrettable the way that he fucking hates Tom Watson and slags him off all the time and Tom Watson's no. terrified <laughs> of him. That's really funny, and the yeah. interview with Tom Watson basically saying, yeah, I'm scared and in hiding because Len McCluskey might beat me up <laughs> is one of the funniest fucking things from the Corbyn years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was so diminished at that point. But yeah, I think you're right that there was a kind of anti-incumbent mm. bounce 
in Coin's favour in the previous election. Because seriously, who the fuck? Like, this fucking guy just goes around and he's just, like, saying to the trade unions, <laughs> saying to the trade unions, yeah, you know, he's got to tone it down. You know, things aren't so bad. It's the usual centrist offer, isn't it, of absolutely nothing. Yeah. I never thought before this election I would ever say this about anyone. But he is... Owen Smith without the charisma. <laughs> like, the same nothing offer, but a couple of gaffes would benefit him just because you're like, oh, right, he's not some weird empty shell for all these <laughs> Labour right campaign groups. There's some semblance of a personality, albeit probably a terrible one in there. I don't think he's just an empty shell for them. I think he's a vessel for all sorts of vested interests. I mean, how many fucking promoted Gerard Coyne tweets did you get on your timeline? I fucking had to block him. What I was going to say here is that I unblocked him to gloat that he'd lost. I, I blocked unblo- him early, but for the three days or so before I did, it was like constant every time I went on Vote Twitter. Gerard Coyne, just, you know, just ordinary grassroots Unite members just giving him mm-hmm. this massive advertising budget. Just the ordinary grassroots News International employee Unite members who got him his op-eds in The Sun and The Times. Look... Here's the thing, the winning strategy should have been fucking obvious to the Labour right, and it's pretend to be really quite left-wing, but a bit less left-wing than the other candidates. It for worked Starmer for Keir Starmer. Yeah. yeah, it worked for Starmer. Look, I'm not Jeremy Corbyn, but here's my pledges. If you like his manifestos, you probably think these are alright in isolation. Why not try that? Instead, he tried exactly what lost him the last one, albeit more narrowly last time. Put loads of adverts on Facebook like vote for me I'm nice while doing nothing to actually outline why anyone should Mm. beyond the kind of gritted teeth obvious distaste for the very idea of trade unions and trade unionist movements (laughs) what were they thinking like it's really funny that they haven't got any ideas and that they fail miserably despite having all the advantages but it's almost frustrating what the the fuck are you doing give us some proper enemies to fight the, the, prob- the problem is we just, you know, we kick up too much of a fuss in this time when there have never been more anti-trade union laws in this country. Just like, oh, well, you know, we're just uh, we're putting up too much of a fight. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not saying that <laughs> it's Unite's fault. Well, you know, maybe past leaderships. Obviously, it's not a very old union, but but I don't, you know, I don't think it's like Len McCluskey's fault that there's more anti-trade union legislation than ever because he didn't fight it hard enough. But you probably would be able to blame Gerard Coyne for some of the shit the government would do to the trade union movement if he became general secretary. He'd just be like, yes, yes, do this. <laughs> we gotta get people. Uh, non-exploitative zero-hours contracts, like in the 2015 election, just like that's <laughs> yes. the, the bar, like in the Labour manifesto. Then I mean, that's give the us bar. one-hour contracts. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the fucking bar that they'd like lower it to. You know, just arguing for like the bare minimum. There'd be no fucking point. I don't want to say there'd be no point in Unite or in the trade union movement, obviously, because course, Unite is yeah. not the only trade union. But it would feel like there was no point to even fucking 
getting involved if Coin was the guy pulling the strings. But we know who's pulling his strings, uh, Mr. Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, his family's record of failure in these elections is really funny because, as we've already covered, Mr. Gerard Coyne, who, you know, I think it shows that we didn't take him as a threat, that we didn't just all insist on calling him Gerald throughout the election. Like, it's a proven <laughs> strategy for winding up tosses. Gerard Coint. See. Yes. Okay. But his brother ran for Joint General Secretary in 2009, was again heavily backed by Rupert Murdoch. It's all a bit weird. Um, yeah, yeah, from Miss Sol- Solomon, Solomon Hughes, Hughes article, wrote yeah. an article about it, but Coin was usually... backed this month by Trevor Kavanagh, one of the top columnists of The Sun. Kavanagh and is an outright fascist, a... by the way. <laughs> Kavanagh, who is said to have a direct line to Murdoch, argued Coyne was a moderate who would bring an end to division and conflict. You know, oh, it was God, like trade unions aren't there for conflict. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Coyne would fight for immigration controls, he said, and would stymie the loony left. So 80s throwback language there. You what know, like in practice, when you join one of the big unions and... All you get for the first few months is here's some special offers on life insurance and stuff like that. <laughs> if you followed this sort of Rupert Murdoch, Trevor Kavanagh, the Brothers Coin rhetoric and actually implemented it, that's basically all the unions would do, isn't it? You know, it'd be like an NUS extra card, but for people working in mid-level or entry-level jobs, it would eliminate the vast majority of everything worthwhile they do in a stroke. And Absolutely. It does shed some light on why they're pushing for it, but you'd think, given the money and the effort they're putting into it, they'd try and come up with a better way of selling it. I mean, there's a history of failed coin coups in Unite. (laughs) So in 2009, Kevin Coyne, Gerard's brother and political ally, this is reading from the Solomon Hughes piece, here's why Rupert Murdoch billionaire media mogul loves this trade unionist. In 2009, Kevin Coyne, Gerard's brother and political ally, ran for election as Unite Joint General Secretary, again with support from a range of Murdoch's papers. A 2009 Times editorial made clear it supported both Coyne brothers, saying the union's hierarchy does in fact contain some talent. The Coyne brothers... Kevin and Gerard are moderate, articulate, and properly focused on getting a good and durable deal for their workers. Like, what do the people writing Times editorials consider a good and durable deal for workers? I mean, they don't even have good working conditions at the Times. This was a 2009 (laughs) Times editorial, so there's actually a really, really high chance that was written personally by Oliver Cam. There you go. Of course it is, because then he styles himself, I'm actually to the he left thinks of he's Corbyn like, on certain levels. Yeah, I'm not a career journalist. I've been on the coalface. He worked in banking and finance. You know, yeah, yeah, and of course senior, he, he, his real day job senior is, guy is in editing the city. Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah, he's outsourced that now. He's a successful small business because there aren't enough hours in the day for him to do all the Philip Cross edits. <laughs> so he's actually probably done a tortoise and whoever the several people are behind it they've found someone called Philip Cross and bought their online identity maybe got them to do some of the work for pay (laughs) allegedly the Times editorial said and this is a Blairite line I've heard before that there was less need for unions to worry about pay because of a minimum wage which was introduced in 1998 so like Tony Blair sorted it out so like because people are getting (laughs) minimum wage 
minimum <laughs> yeah Mi- which minimum was fucking wage that's which okay. was incredibly low in, in 1998 oh, let yeah, me have yeah, a look yeah. what it was brought in initially right so obviously there were three tiers of it as well as there are today still i believe so national minimum wage act 1998 but well, it's still not a living wage it, is it the minimum wage no, no, and initially... <laughs> I don't know, because I am on benefits. <laughs> no, no, no the, 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 the living wage is allegedly about £9.30 at the moment, I think, which is very slightly more than I earn, which is nice, but the minimum wage is not far below that now. It's just over £8, I think. But at the time it was brought in, in 1999, I believe, obviously there's been inflation since then, so it's not quite like for like, but it was £3... 70, 80, something like that, at a development rate for young people, which I believe was under 25, that's certainly what it became, was like three quid, dead on, three quid an hour. Mm. And then a few years later they changed it, so there were three tiers. By then, that development rate for people in their late teens and early 20s was just over £4, and the minimum wage had gone up to about fiver. Which and is then, about where it is 16, in the US right now. Yeah. <laughs> if you were 16 or 17, the minimum wage for you was, was three quid. Fucking joke. And actually, as recently as 2020, they obviously brought in later an apprentice rate, a fourth rate, which is currently £4.10, something Jesus. like that. Jesus. <laughs> and the 16, 17-year-old wage is higher than that. Obviously, the tiering was essentially to incentivise people keeping weekend employees, school kids and stuff, yeah. without actually encouraging them to treat them any better. My sister had a job when she was at school, just a corner shop down the road, and they tried to keep paying her at the lower rate when she turned 18, <laughs> and really grudgingly backpaid her, just flat out breaking the law. But in the Murdoch press, this is like, there's literally no need to negotiate pay as a trade union anymore yeah. <laughs> because because Tony Blair said people can get paid four quid an hour if you're over 25. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oliver Cam's just like, why can't these indolent youth tighten their belts as he just sits there in the fucking Groucho Club shoveling down caviar mm. and drinking scotch. I so actually, actually, hate this was, Oliver Cam. This um, was 2009 he said that, so the actual minimum wage at that point would have been almost... Him. <laughs> Almost six pounds. So, you know, fair play. I, I take all that back. Oh, wow. Yeah, big money. The Times editorial that was possibly written by Oliver Cam says that instead of focusing on pay, trade unions should focus on offering financial personal and legal advice and helping bosses develop <laughs> helping bosses full stop <laughs> helping bosses develop skills academies and training for workers it's like the age old centrist adage uh, unemployed workers should just learn to code <laughs> this is the most Blair years fucking shit anyway aggressively attempted to de-skill every job remove any incentive or any nudge for any employer to train anyone at all and just use buzzwords like skills academies to hide the fact that you're not actually doing any training or or giving anyone any reason to. It's essentially why aren't you, the idiot worker, going and training to benefit your employer on your own dime and in your own time? By the way, you need to get a loan for that now instead of a grant. (laughs) So this is some pretty funny, straight up fake news. Simpson, it doesn't actually specify who that was, but Simpson, I suppose, was the person running against the coins on their, their double coin ticket. Here's an example 
of a right well the times again in fact just making up some straight up fake news like oliver cam just like yeah i got it from my best trade union source you know he's really plugged in because i'm true labor man you know but the times in 2009 claimed that kevin coyne had received twice as many branch nominations for general secretary of unite as simpson it had to issue an apology later and admit that in fact the opposite is true <laughs> hate, hate when I hate when you make a, an honest mistake like that. You know? <laughs> How embarrassing! What, what a shame! What a shame! So then, Kevin Coyne came third in that election, beaten by both Simpson and another left-wing candidate. <laughs> so a real Coyne family tradition coming yeah. after two competing left-wing candidates. And then, yeah, obviously it was Gerard's turn in tw- Gerald's turn in 2017, and the son were like here come and write an editorial for us and ran loads of pro coin articles and the times said come and write editorials for us too and both newspapers emphasized that coin was a moderate and argued that his opponent len mccluskey was too supportive of then labor leader corbyn i think the history of the coins is kind of interesting because but just like the most blatant like plants in the world just like these two incredibly right-wing ridiculously well-funded guys who have like proven losers but keep continually putting themselves forward to be in charge of the trade union that they've embedded themselves in it could be a very comical premise these two bosses who are just going around a trade union, like, trying to talk the lingo and stuff, like, yes, comrade, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) these, they are aberrations. (laughs) I'm not not saying that throughout history every trade unionist has been righteous, or even remotely on the left. There are trade unionists who are, like, right-wing, but there has seldom been so many... Two trade unionists who are so much just a creature of the opposing class. Yeah, and not, not even trying to hide it, you know? It's yeah. just such a weird strategy. It's like, are you a paying member of a trade union? Do you hate all that we stand for and the very concept of a trade union? Vote for <laughs> us. Ballots are coming out soon. Vote for us. We'll make sure you've not got a choice in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so with Sharon Graham becoming the general secretary instead of Len McCluskey, a lot of people who don't want workers to have rights, they're trying to say, oh, yeah, this is great for Keir Starmer, a moderate choice. And obviously I was wrong because she won. I didn't think this would be a good strategy. But her whole thing was Unite has been too focused on the Labour Party. We need to try and look elsewhere and focus on extra parliamentary activity. And Mm -hmm. that's not a ringing endorsement for Keir Starmer's leadership. Now, it's not for Howard Beckett, I'm just going to spend my life making Keir Starmer's life as difficult as possible. Which obviously, as I said earlier, appealed to me in many ways, and there yeah, wasn't there and, wasn't at least critical that. support for just being like, yeah, I'm going to troll these bastards, you know. Yeah, and it's not like there was much of that coming from Steve Turner. Just which... a little bit of that energy would have gone a long way, I think. He doesn't but... have to copy Howard Becker, but you know, just a, a bit of it. But I mean, yeah, is there any reason to believe that 
Starmer would have really been more terrified by a Steve Turner victory than a Sharon Graham one. Because, if anything, she seems more likely, albeit yeah. for possibly different reasons, to, I, I, you know, like I said, I don't know about Turner, but like Beckett might have done, she seems much more likely to, you know, pull funding for the Labour Party and so on. Yeah, I think in many ways the lack of hostility towards her from the right during the campaign was simply because they, like a lot of people, including to some extent us, I think, thought she was going to potentially split the vote and assumed that she wasn't going to win. You've seen it immediately, the papers pivoting within hours from, oh yeah, this candidate's going to win, being the first woman to be in charge, to this person supported by the hard left SWP, you know, (laughs) it's going to be a headache for the sensible Labour member. Yeah, that was crazy. The SWP thing was literally under the headline at the top of the piece. I swear they got her name wrong as well. They called her Sharon Turner. (laughs) (laughs) There's obviously a, a big difference. I mean, people were like, yeah, maybe she's playing into Coyne's narrative with this Unite under Len McCluskey was too focused on the Labour Party thing. But there is obviously a difference between we're not going to criticise the Labour Party at all, we're just gonna do what they're doing and just turn this union into a creature of a managerial class. And on the other hand, we're gonna keep a distance from Labour. We're not gonna dedicate all our time to supporting them or necessarily criticising them, but we could do either, depending on what they're actually offering workers. Whereas Coins was just like, workers? Who gives a fuck about them? Am I right, my fellow trade unionists? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I've got something in my throat, so I keep playing. (laughs) I want to go, yuck, like Pusha T. Yuck, you're Drake. You are hiding a child. <laughs> I, I sell cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we do a bit on the Loach affair now? Papa Loach. Yeah, is there anything yeah. else we want to say about <laughs> coin? Oh, I, I just wanted to get in a few things as well. People may have seen my tweet. I was very proud of it. But Jess Phillips reached out to Marcus Rashford with a word oh of some, some, my some mentions constitu- have been hell for like some 24 constituent hours. that she hasn't done a fucking thing to help your mentions yeah i, I, put I guess you, you can't jess phillips <laughs> and got some fucking fbp deckers and they're saying no she's great everyone in the constituency loves her literally everyone yeah literally <laughs> everyone I, i'm sure but yeah one of the people in her constituency who she has in fact not helped but but harmed with her terrible political activity he'd gone up to her and said oh can you thank marcus rashford who obviously, for those people like me who don't watch football, is a footballer. <laughs> but you probably, if, if, but if if you know, there's hours of research goes into this show. By the way, you don't appreciate <laughs> the, the, the hard work and the cold face of real politics. Yeah, but he's also the person to whom the two major parties in this country have outsourced their conscience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he's a sort of activist and philanthropist as well and got the government to do some shit about school meals didn't he yeah yeah absolutely to provide yeah. free school meals during the <laughs> pandemic i was just like how, well, look i'm not the guy to give a potted biography of this dude like anyway so he obviously has done some stuff that has helped people is what i'm saying uh whereas jess phillips has never done that 
never in her life. If you think Jess Phillips helped you, you are actually just lucky. <laughs> Circumstances collided in a way that made you come out all right of whatever the situation was. I assure you it wasn't Jess Phillips. But she was like, hey, Marcus Rashford. So my constituent asked me to tell you thank you so much because my children are fed and blah, blah, blah now. Thanks to you. And obviously a lot of people were giving Jess Phillips shit because of how out of touch her tweet seemed. Such as Geraint, I guess, if you if you were in her mentions. Yeah, I just said, and I wasn't the only person saying this, that it's tragic that this guy's demonstrated better at fighting for your constituents than you are, despite living in a different part of the country and <laughs> having a day job. <laughs> so I slightly rephrased her tweet. Hey, at Gerard Coyne, a constituent oh. just called to ask me to thank you. He's a CEO of a major corporation, and his children have been in summer activities and being fed and active, and he is grateful that you stood up for families like his. I mean, it's got the usual, like, Jess Phillips syntax. You're like, ah, yes, this is a person who has written several books and is a prolific journalist, but I've just been looking out for tweets commiserating with Gerard Coyne about what like a great guy he is and what a hero to the movement he is and stuff. I tweeted out actually, have any bad centrist bellends done tweets of commiseration to Gerard Coyne and John McTurnan liked my tweet so maybe maybe <laughs> he has maybe if I look down his timeline he's done a thing about like my friend Gerard Coyne He's a great guy. He's the backbone of the trade union movement. He knew you meant him and just wanted to acknowledge that you were giving him a shout out on such a sad day for him. You know, <laughs> but say what you like about John McTurnan. He respects his friends like yourself on, on Twitter.com. <laughs> yes, my friend John McTurnan. I'm trying to think, what was the last <laughs> Oh, the last God, thing? Laurie Penny or someone had a notorious, one of many notorious tweets that was like, my good friend and ideological enemy about someone. Like fucking Milo. Uh, oh yeah, Milo yeah, my, Milo. I think yeah. I yeah. can't remember if it was actually about him, but that's um, Yeah, your good friend and ideological enemy, John McTurnan, which <laughs> is last... kind of the approach he has to all his left wing accounts he follows as well, isn't it? <laughs> the last fucking time John McTurnan retweeted something that I posted on Twitter was fairly recently. Actually, it was that I tweeted that Geronimo, an American legend by Walter Hill, is on Netflix. Uh, if anybody wants to watch it, and I said it was written by reactionary genius or something like that, John Milius. And obviously, a uh, reactionary game recognised reactionary game. So <laughs> McTurnan hit the retweet button straight up on that. Yeah. yeah. But we'll talk about Geronimo later and not the uh, Native American leader. <laughs> I searched high and low. That's why I was thinking about, like, what's Jess Phillips saying? Has she said, my friend Gerard Coyne? Great, you know. Just a fraud. Oh, yeah, speaking truth to power by saying that a trade union shouldn't speak truth or challenge power at all. <laughs> Just a fraud. Yeah. He'll I run ha again in three years and he'll lose again. I think it's three years, however long it is. He'll get hammered, it'll be funny. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, actually, just to appeal to Sharon Graham, it's a little mantra I've always had. It's a kind of key political demand of mine vis-a-vis -vis the Labour Party. But I think you can come up with a variant of this for Unite. So I've always said that the golden ticket, the one weird trick 
the uh, magic carpet of the Labour left. But for some reason, they just never pull it out. No, it's not the stop Brexit button. No, it's not the stop anti-Semitism button. I have long maintained that there is a card that the left, for some inexplicable reason, refuse to play, but that they absolutely should. And any reasonable person advising the Labour Party should advise them to do this. My core political demand is kick the cunt out. Obviously, I'm referring to Tony Blair. I've said this many times. <laughs> Why have they never said, kick the cunt out? Like, that can become the basis of a movement. Like, you you, you just fucking subject Tony Blair to... Yeah, okay, great that Corbyn apologised for the Iraq war. Wonderful thing to do on behalf of the Labour Party, even though he himself was against it. And I know Tony Blair was very upset about that, but... Should have kicked the cunt out. Should have put his foot down. And to show how penitent we are in the Labour Party for the Iraq war, for the Afghanistan war, all the wars, <laughs> we should have kicked Tony Blair, the cunt, out. And I'm appealing to Sharon Graham right now. There is a rat problem. Unite has a rat problem. Kick the cunt out. Coin, there's no... Look, kick the cunts out. His brother isn't bringing anything to the table either. Out. Kick kick the cunts out. It will be massively popular with me. Anyway, so, Ken Loach, Papa Loach, one of the great British directors... I mean, okay, admittedly, uh, he's maybe not quite on the level of a Christopher Nolan, of a uh, Danny Boyle, uh, of a Nick Love, you could say, okay. of, of a Guy Ritchie, of a according, Tim Burton. I was going to say Tim Burton, according to one centrist post, the, not even British. When I think of British film, I think of Tim Burton. The films, they're set in castles... Johnny Depp sometimes does a funny accent in them <laughs> that is ostensibly British. Uh, yeah. that, uh, <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter was in them while they were married. She is British. Uh, I mean, those are the things that I think of when I think of Britain. I don't think of any of my own life experiences. Purely the gothic tableau of a Tim Burton film. So yes, Loach obviously a minor player compared to some of these big guns. But I don't think a particularly controversial statement to say that he is Britain's greatest director, that he is one of Britain's greatest directors. I mean, he's a twice Palme d'Or winner. I think he's the only British person to have that yep. honour. He has made a massive number of films. I'm just saying estimating off the top of my head, including his television work, probably around 40. It's a long and storied career. And in fact, a lot of the directors I mentioned earlier, Nick Love cites Ken Loach as his biggest influence. I know that may seem, if you've seen Outlaw, it's on the opposite side of a political spectrum to Ken Loach's socialist films. Whilst Ken Loach made socialist critiques, of the Blair era, Outlaw makes a fascist critique of the Blair era. But formally, 
and I believe Nick Love believes in its concerns, it draws heavily from Loach. I'm sure I could look up quotes from Danny Boyle about Loach. <coughs> Any number of directors who people have mentioned alongside Ken Loach as superior directors who show why, in addition to not being a worthy member of a Labour Party, Loach is a stain on cinema. That's harsh. <laughs> what? Yeah, and that last bit has come about very suddenly in recent weeks, really. A lot of people who have not been a fan of Ken Loach as a political commentator as a supporter of Corbyn for a number of years have suddenly decided that all his films are entirely without merit and he's overrated and terrible and, <laughs> and, and that he should be essentially Roman polanski into a big bin. It's not even no... just his support of Corbyn because a lot of these people who are super, now they can come out and be like, actually, I'd rather watch a big Christopher Nolan Batman film than a fucking Ken Loach social realist film about benefit claimants, and that makes me more left-wing and righteous than you. A lot of these people, they're saying that shit because they've been nursing a fucking grievance against Ken Loach for years because these fucking people actually cared when somebody couldn't bring themselves to support the Labour Party under Tony Blair, or under Gordon Brown, or under Ed Miliband, or whatever. None of us give none of us give a shit about that. All of us can totally understand. Some of us did. I didn't, but <laughs> I was very young at the time. But the, these are people who, like, they, they saw Ken Loach, like, with left unity or with respect. They saw that he left the Labour Party in 1994 over Clause 4, and that built up as a resentment against him over years and years and whilst most people were perceiving him as yes a socialist but primarily a filmmaker whose politics are expressed in his work these people who view everything totally within this narrow lens of labor factional politics which is stewing about his heresies against the blairite doctrine yeah and although you wouldn't generally have previously seen people steaming in on his films so much as say that one or not for me or something there was a fair bit about it about i daniel blake and the slightly more recent film he did sorry we missed you it was about the sort of gig economy there's a lot of essentially people trying to sort of portray it as like oh you know he's, he's being too mean about the system he's picking the, the worst he's picking the worst examples of it and suggesting it applies to everyone who the I'm like, fuck said no, that no it clearly like, doesn't apply to everyone I've seen a lot of Labour right people I don't know Cam claims to be but just be like yeah actually because Ken Loach said that the benefit system is terrible I think the benefit system is good but flawed it's the reflexive oppose the left oppose anyone who supports Corbyn street (laughs) oh yeah right okay so some people get their lives absolutely ruined by universal credit but many people don't quite have it that bad so it's fine Oh yeah, he's just making either work. Yeah, you can his... imagine them in the fucking sixties watching Kathy come home and being like, "Yeah, but lots of people aren't homeless. It's fine. More people have homes than are homeless. So shut up, Ken Loach." It does my fucking head in when people accuse Loach of making quote unquote poverty porn. Because okay, what do you consider like a respectful and non 
pornographic portrayal of these material conditions. Just ignoring like, it. Who else who is a yeah, exactly. Well, who else who's I, I, a mainstream figure is making work about this stuff? Well, I've watched Danny Boyle films and they often use visual shorthand to tell you the character's quite poor in the first fifteen minutes until their life changes miraculously. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, yeah. that's basically the same but less toxic. Playwright aspiration there, you know. <sighs> But also, there's just, like, this assumption. People just kind of, they think, obviously, Loach has been successful. He's done quite well for himself. I imagine his present material conditions are quite comfortable, even mm. if people are hell-bent on making his <laughs> life miserable. But people just kind of assume, oh, he's just this middle-class, lovey, intellectual, whatever. They don't know shit about his background, and that, like, he actually comes from a working-class family originally. And, you know, it's not like he's been living in unimaginable luxury for decades. I mean, I'm sure he's ascended to well within the middle class, but it's not like he's, like, looking down at working class people from an ivory tower he does understand he's not the ceo of a bank or something <laughs> yeah absolutely and plenty of film directors should well not not as many was well i'm not gonna say not as many as there should be it's fucking capitalism it's not fucking fair but some directors come from working class backgrounds sure you can't say that purely in loach's defense but how many of them actually continually make working class films hmm Oh, is that Aries? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, there's some kids, I guess, making noises outside. I'll close the window, but it's just a bit hot in here. <laughs> They've sensed Yaya as a dad, and now he's just like... <laughs> daddy! I'm the I've always now. called Yaya daddy, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that got weird very quickly. <laughs> you play your magical... I'll uh, play your magical flute, Yaya. <laughs> so, the whole thing about Ken Loach is obviously... He announced that he had received notice from the Labour Party that his membership had been revoked because he had not distanced himself from the prescribed organisation Labour Against the Witch Hunt. Loach went public with this and, you know, a lot of people, including us, came out in his defence. But equally, he received a lot of detractors and it was the usual thing of people were dredging up everything that he'd ever done that they perceived as negative to discredit him as a whole when these things are not why he was kicked out of the Labour Party. He was kicked out of the Labour Party because Keir Starmer has prescribed four totally marginal left-wing organisations as a way of getting left-wingers on this incredibly wide charge of being associated with these groups. I mean, I think, what was her name? Pamela Fitzpatrick announced that she'd been kicked out of the Labour Party for associating with one of these prescribed groups. Like, a year before they got prescribed. Totally surreal shit, and I think all the hand-wringing. We talked about this on a previous episode, I think, actually, but all, all this hand-wringing about, well, I don't support socialist action being kicked out, but I think, yeah, Labour Against the Witch Hunt, maybe they had it coming. Like, no, because it's all just about kicking out the left. It's like, how many people can we pick off under the usual pretense, which is anti-Semitism? <laughs> 
I think we've seen as well with a lot of this, a lot of the arguments against fucking prescribing groups left, right and centre come to light now already that people were saying about a month ago, this is what's going to happen, even if you don't like the groups involved. It's being used as a tool to kick out people with quite loose associations with them. Mm. Ken Loach has said things in support of one of them, whether he should or he shouldn't, that's enough to get him flat out expelled as if he was one of the people running the group. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like of, he won't retract his comments. Yeah. It's the same thing yeah. with Corbyn. Like, will you retract your yeah. comments? It's like, you, well, they obviously believe the comments, so what does it fucking matter <laughs> yeah. if they retract right. them? Why do you was... want a person to just say something that everyone knows they don't believe? It's this, like, yeah. stupid ritualistic shit, and it's like a but mode seeing... of politics I'm so fucking sick of. Like, will you condemn? No, yeah. fuck off. I condemn yeah, you. It's always been something that's been disproportionately used against leftists, that whole mode, but we're seeing a lot of reasonably prominent, broadly left-wing Corbyn supporters now in the Labour Party getting pulled up like, oh, you spoke on a Zoom call with one of these groups 14 months ago, you appeared at one of their meetings three years ago, and these groups weren't prescribed 14 months ago or three years ago. It's really putting the or have you ever been into the McCarthy height interrogation you know? 100% well you know what? go back to late 2019 and these groups were probably doing a lot fucking more to get Labour elected than most of the people who are celebrating their expulsion from the party the whole thing is just absurd there's literally no one on the left or many people on the soft left or even the Labour centre who at some point in their life even if they were more idealistic as a youth or something like that have not appeared at some sort of protest or demonstration where the fucking SWP haven't turned up completely unwanted with their tables and placards and stuff <laughs> yeah we've, yeah we've appeared at an swp event we should all be chugged out <laughs> literally <laughs> expel oh, everyone shit, including <laughs> keir starmer himself i apologize uh, there's, I there's no way <laughs> there's no way he wasn't probably inadvertently shoulder to shoulder with those tossers when he himself was a trot in, in oh the, yeah no in the I've, seen Ke- I've seen pictures of keir starmer like more recent pictures of him you see the old swp banner behind him or something but the famous pictures of keir Keir Starmer speaking at a Palestinian solidarity meeting. <laughs> what a shameless man. What a bastard. What the f- he, He's just like promises people the world and it's just like, oh, sorry, do you think I ever cared about you? <laughs> Wanker. Well, still, he's going to paint his leadership in primary colours. He's going to piss blood through his face in order to get elected. Yeah. Yeah, he's got the yellow. He's got the red from his general complexion more than his politics. And he needs to come out as blue, the best political colour, to get all the primary colours in there. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. So a lot of people, and I think this is like where the left have fallen down in this response. I mean, there can never be a coherent response from the left to anything because people have always got to kind of come in and say, well, actually, (laughs) like... (laughs) Again, this is something I find very frustrating. Ken Loach is not being kicked out of the Labour Party for directing the rehearsals of the unstaged play Perdition in 1987. That's not what's happening, and continually bringing it up is just a sideshow of the issue of Keir Starmer trying to eradicate the left in the Labour Party. And frankly, the bottomless depths to which he's gone to instrumentalise the issue of anti-Semitism in the course of doing this. 
nobody is perfect. There's always gonna be when somebody on the left is gone for. Somebody can bring up something unsavory they've said or done, or that looks unsavory. Because again, I'm unconvinced on this. To kind of say, well, they had it coming. But that's not what's happened here. This is not like some belated comeuppance. The reason that I find it so frustrating that people are continually bringing up Perdition. Well, there's a bunch of reasons that I find it frustrating. If we're on Perdition, I was going to say it's incredibly hard to get to the bottom of exactly what happened there and what it's about. Reading the descriptions of it, you're like, is that something that's worth the risk of making something like that? But when you see... I was looking at the Wikipedia article for it a few months ago, trying to see if all the claims on it were correct, and I noticed that nearly all the sources were either behind paywalls or were sourced to, like, you know, chapter 17 of a specific out-of-print book or something like that yeah so I, I was struggling to verify more than the broad facts about it so i was like well is it something that can be cancelled over is it a bit exaggerated I, I genuinely don't know and i looked at the edit history on a whim and it was nearly all in complete violation of his actual ban on editing articles like this because these were all from like february 2021 it was Philip Cross. Um, Wasn't there like Bob from Broccoli yes, in there yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Philip, Philip Cross Another had most wanker. of the edit. Philip Cross had put most of the page together in its current form. But then before that, there was like a cluster of edits from Bob from Broccoli as well, who's you know, <laughs> obviously just hugely reflexively anti-left from a broadly Houstonite perspective. And these two between them had nearly all the fucking edits on it. And why, if you are Philip Cross, depending on what you believe, you either have fairly close connections to a number of high-profile broadsheet anti-left comment guys, or you are literally Oliver Cam. And <laughs> yet, you've chosen to make all your sources that you yourself have edited into it ones that anyone reading the article can't access. They could maybe <laughs> access one in three of them if they paid money to a couple of newspapers. Because, yeah, but... Oliver Cam will just, like, write about this shit every time Ken Loach writes a new film. I misspoke here. Ken Loach is a director, not a writer. He has not written any of his significant work, including the minor work, the play Perdition. <laughs> Ken Loach is out there shining a light on the conditions endured by people in casualized labor, zero-hour contracts and stuff, and Oliver Cam is just seeing that, just being like, that goddamn do-gooder, it's time to dig out the old Perdition material. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like people fucking hate when he's out there doing good. They resent it, they're like, well, I'm doing good as well, why don't they look at me? My Times editorial endorsing teaching Unite members to code. I'm making the world a better place too, why is this guy getting all the praise? Yeah, it's obviously a big cam thing as well, to put together a Wikipedia article and then repeatedly cite that Wikipedia article to win arguments on Twitter <laughs> and in print. Or vice versa, to cite Oliver Cam articles as a source for what you're editing onto Wikipedia. Honestly, out of all the fucking weird ghouls in politics and journalism that we have covered over the years on this podcast and on our various Twitter accounts, I've said it recently, I would fucking love someone with investigative skills it would almost certainly have to be someone with no ambition to get published in the UK media. <laughs> someone talented from America or Canada or something like that to do a deep dive into, like, Oliver Cam. What the fuck is his story? Because... Freak. 
Freeze. Respect it. to his mum for the English language translations of the Asterix comics. I'm yeah. a big fan of her. But it's just another <laughs> example of just an excellent person who for whatever reason just something goes wrong when that child hang on, hang comes on. out is, it, is that right yeah 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 it's anthea bell i think her name was wow was this from research for your leftover appearance or <laughs> oh my god i just realized we did the leftover appearance without mentioning dan hodges being the son of glenda jackson fuck fuck I look forward to listening to it now. There must be some deep cuts in there if you overlooked Hodges. Yeah, I was trying to be a fancy pants about how Obama's dad actually wasn't that left wing, so probably that's why I forgot about it. Too focused on Barack Obama Sr. Um, <laughs> on the note of Loach and Perdition, I've got a lot of regard for Ken Loach. I frankly think that if he did direct one problematic play in 1987 that never even <laughs> uh, actually went on stage, but the good he's done outweighs that ultimately and uh, as i say nobody's perfect i struggle to think of everyone who's i agree with everything they've ever done (laughs) ken loach has made some i think slightly left boomer statements in recent years i don't agree with that but it's never been enough to be like this guy must be expelled from everything and i retroactively hate all the films of his i've seen and enjoy over the years you know well a really funny thing is actually a load of people are just saying ken loach i hate that old trot i much prefer mike lee and they're like saying that safe in the knowledge like oh mike lee he's okay then i just want to like send all these people to the article like filmmakers including ken loach and mike lee signed this uh, this defense of chris williamson (laughs) mike Mike lee has the same politics as ken loach he's just not as politically active yeah (laughs) it's so funny seeing these people trying to use mike lee ken loach's friend and artistic peer and political ally against him and influenced by ken loach as well you know absolutely a million miles away i think lee just sort of turns up the personal a little bit in terms of how the films are weighted but yeah they're both good directors they're both broadly similar they're friends political like what the fuck like (laughs) are we really supposed to believe that all these fucking freakish briefcase labor right nandy teens are like oh yes got my mike lee box set on fuck the trots (laughs) they're not they're watching the fucking extended marvel universe and they have takes on it 100 percent. like that's the thing just the artistic barrenness of these people's lives (laughs) stuck out to me in the response to the loach stuff like i say it wasn't enough to say well he's a great director he's done a lot for british film but i think he's a holocaust denier which i'll get to that but they also just kind of had to say oh yeah his films are shit and here's what i prefer and in the process just show that they prefer shit like fucking christopher nolan garbage fucking danny boyle's yesterday or whatever i mean like i don't hate danny boyle i think he's made like at least two good films but (laughs) ken loach like i said earlier he's made like 40 films and i think all of them have something going for them and you know these people the the people they named, there were a couple of art house curveball choices. So I'm mainly sort of verbally subtweeting a labor right activist called Joshua Garfield here who did yeah. a tweet like, do you seriously think that Ken Loach is better than like Christopher Nolan and Ridley Scott? And like, I actually like Ridley Scott. But yeah, but yeah, I, 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 I like think Ridley Ken Scott Loach a lot, is better but... than fucking Ridley Scott. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Ken Loach is better. He's more consistent. And I think 
there's a clearer argument with Ridley Scott that great he's keeping going, but his best work is quite a while in the past. Whereas with Ken Loach, his new films are still connecting with people. A lot of what people would call his best films are in recent memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not been a decline or falling off. I think even Ridley Scott, when he was younger, was pretty inconsistent. Like, his first three films are really great. But, I mean, his first film, The Duelists, is in 1977. And Ken Loach was directing in the early 60s. Like, Kathy Come Home was 65, I think. Kathy Come Home was more than a decade before that, yeah. 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 Kez was late 60s even, and that's maybe his his best-known film. So um, I mean, like, I think really well Ridley, given this. totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Ridley Scott probably cites Ken Loach as an influence. Yeah. I think a lot of people do, including, like I said earlier, Nick Love. <laughs> Any anyone anyone who appreciates cinema, anyone who appreciates art, and like someone's going to be like, actually, I'm a big cinephile and I don't like Ken Loach. And I'm like, oh, if you're my friend, mm. then fine, okay, whatever. But if you're not, then you're a philistine <laughs> too. But if you appreciate art, then you appreciate Ken Loach. If you only like the most basic mainstream shit and also are only able to perceive things outside of their most uh, superficial values, artistic things, as how they pertain to the Labour Party and its internal conflicts over the period in which Jeremy Corbyn was its leader then, yeah, you live an empty life and you probably won't get much out of Ken Loach films. Like, oh, why do I want to watch a film about stuff that really happens? I can watch some escapist entertainment. If there's a place for escapist entertainment. But these people want everything to be like that. They don't want there to be fucking alternative. They want to apply there is no alternative to cinema. These people are like, every time you've read an article on an old film, it's like, the ending was changed due to poor response at test screening. These people are the <laughs> test screening people. Like, these films haven't even got happy endings. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's just so depressing to see these people wade into a terrain that they are visibly uncomfortable in. I mean, it's kind of funny. Obviously, I got a lot out of Joshua Garfield naming Tim Burton as one of the best British directors and like well, being like th- Joshua- feeling like he had to throw a woman in who probably has seen one of her films. <laughs> Joshua Garfield looked like he'd literally Googled British film directors. It, yeah, it was like the, like the top the, results The list, the list at the top that Google puts up with the face shots and the names. Seven out of the eight of them were the ones he'd put in the list. There was no Peter Watkins. There was no Peter yeah. Greenaway. There was no Mike Lee. There was nobody who has like an incisive critique of the status quo. It was just it was basically... <laughs> I mean it is who... Josh Garfield. What, what the fuck? <laughs> no, of course. We would go out of his way to exclude those if Google had suggested them. But it wasn't British cinema even. And I'm not just talking about Tim Burton. Christopher Nolan well he's half British. He did grow up here in part I think but he doesn't make British films. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Even Dunkirk was probably American-funded. I mean, he hasn't made a film in Britain in years, since probably his first film. No, no, I mean The Prestige, I guess. But wasn't that shot in Canada? My point stands regardless. It's basically British cinema not defined as an actual national cinema, but just as British individuals slotting neatly into the Hollywood system. Yeah. Serving as a tool of American capitalism, <laughs> as opposed to a homegrown British film industry that doesn't really exist. 
unfortunately. Not when we, like, study in in film studies about Harry Potter as British films. Like, obviously, they're British, (laughs) but not that British, really. Hugely propped up by Hollywood. They don't say much about Britain, do they? No. Yeah. (laughs) They have British people in them. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Like, yeah, that's a good example. Those are not british films i mean to be fair i think most of them are actually directed by americans so you couldn't even get or or alfonso cuaron is mexican so sadly he wasn't able to cite the directors of the harry potter films like the great (laughs) british directors like chris columbus (laughs) (laughs) one of my favorite ken loach projects not films because it's a four-part television series is days of hope which depicts a working-class family over several years in the 20th century. It involves the initial working life, political activity within the trade unions and ultimately the Labour Party, as well as the First World War. So it starts in 1916 and culminates in 1926. It covers a 10-year period, and it finally culminates in the 1926 general strike in a stirring final episode Loach blasts the union leaders for betraying the miners. Sounds cool. I've never seen Uh, it. Yeah, it's really good. The episodes are each feature length. Oh, cool. Every one of them is a film in themselves. 95, 180, and 135 minutes apiece. This was written by Jim Allen, who was a socialist playwright. He was born in 1926 and died in 1999. And I can't think offhand... Of any specifics of Ken Loach's own working class background but Jim Allen was a second world war veteran he fought in world war Two. he was a labourer, he was a builder basically, he was a fireman in the merchant navy and then finally he was a miner at Bradford Colliery and he was a lifelong socialist he began to write when he was a miner and initially he wrote miners literature and then he eventually began writing plays and actually we mentioned earlier that ken loach was making feature films before ridley scott but ridley scott 1965 was when he started directing i suppose for television so Hmm. yeah loach i think started first but ridley scott actually directed jim allen's first play the hard word in 1966 and then he went on to write a number of projects for ken loach there's the big flame which is about a liverpool dockers strike it shows the conflict between a Trotskyite docker and the established union. Allen himself was somewhat of a Trotskyite, vehemently opposed to the Communist Party of Great Britain. And then he ended up writing Days of Hope, and that's sort of his and Loach's crowning achievement as collaborators. But they went on to make some much more visible projects together. Loach's big comeback after his 80s period in the wilderness was a film in 1990 called Hidden Agenda, which is as close to a commercial thriller that Ken Loach has ever done. But of course, it's about the British government colluding with loyalist paramilitaries <laughs> in Northern Ireland. So it's a Ken Loach yes. film. <laughs> mm-hmm. He didn't do a Nolan, go over to America. In fact, when Ken Loach did go over to America, his one film set in the United States is Bread and Roses, which is about largely non-English speaking migrant workers attempting to organise a strike. Yeah, Loach 
has never done the easy thing. But yeah, Hidden Agenda, actually a pretty mainstream film, stars Francis McDormand and Brian Cox. I watched this like a week ago, by the way, because I downloaded a load of his films like a few months ago, particularly ones I hadn't seen before. And the constant loach chat on the timeline pro and anti is like, <laughs> I should get around to watching some of this shit. Uh, it's good, <laughs> good film. Yeah, I guess that could be a benefit of him being so much in the conversation. Some people will <laughs> want to see what all the fuss is about, and if they're not fucking Philistines, they might get something out of his work. But then uh, he wrote a film called Raining Stones in 1993. I'm not sure I've seen this one, but I believe it features in his only collaboration no, I'm thinking of a different film. I thought Ray Winston was in this one. Ricky Tomlinson is, actually. But I think that's a tragic comedy. I'm not entirely sure about it. It's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, so a typically acclaimed Loach film. But then his final collaboration with Jim Allen was Land and Freedom, which is his film about the Spanish Civil War that basically makes the case that the Spanish Republican effort was thwarted by divisions, essentially, again, between the Stalinists and the Trotskyists. <laughs> and I think that's an excellent film, Land and Freedom. And then Jim Allen died a few years after that in 1999. But the real rod of controversy that he and Loach put together was their 1987 stage play Perdition, which as we say, did not even premiere. It was abandoned because of the sheer weight of the controversy. So I found a piece by Anthony Lerman on his blog and Anthony Lerman is a senior fellow at the Bruno uh, Kreisky anyone Mm. the Bruno Kreski Forum for International Dialogue in Vienna and an honorary fellow at the Parks Institute for the Study of Jewish slash non-Jewish relations Southampton University he was founding director of the Institute for Jewish Policy Research JPR the leading Jewish think tank and research body undertaking high level study and analysis of contemporary anti-semitism a program of work that he initiated he was a founding editor of anti-semitism world report and a former editor and now a associate editor of the International Academic Journal on Racism, Patterns of Prejudice, chair of the Jewish Council for Racial Equality in the 80s, member of the Advisory Committee for the Holocaust Exhibition at the Imperial War Museum, and founding chief executive of the Rothschild Foundation, Hamadiv Europe, a grant-making body supporting Jewish life in Europe. And I state all this because I just want to make it clear that I'm citing the work not just of a Jewish academic, but one who specialises in the study of anti-Semitism. This person was the president of Etz Hayem Synagogue in Hanya Crete for several years and is now its vice president, and they are the co-author of Bad News for Labour, Anti-Semitism, the Party and Public Belief, and have written on racism, anti-Semitism, multiculturalism, the Middle East conflict, and religious issues for a uh, uh, large number of very mainstream publications. So, to go back to Perdition, the case made against this play is essentially that it was a work of Holocaust denial. And I specifically talked a lot about Jim Allen there, because I think that because he's been in the ground for more than 20 years, a lot of people have considered Jim Allen's memory basically disposable, and whilst defending Ken Loach, have kind of gone, oh, well, this Jim Allen guy was obviously a Holocaust denier and a bad egg, and, you know, he's not around to defend himself, and I think if you look into his 
life he seems a much more admirable figure than that so it's a shame if his memory is a casualty of all this because as i've said a formidable working class autodidact and writer of some of loach's best films and a committed socialist and i don't believe that his play was a work of holocaust denial and nor does the author of this piece i think that it was arguably impolitic but that's not the same thing right so the play perdition is an account of the libel trial in israel of rudolf katzner have you heard of this guy yeah the name rings a bell, but I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. A Hungarian Jew who negotiated the escape of 1,600 Hungarian Jews during the Second World War. The play heavily implied... Okay, no, never mind. So I am accidentally reading the submission by the Jewish Labour Movement, <laughs> <laughs> which is included in this piece. Because Lerman's piece functions as a rebuttal for it, they were both submitted to show racism the red card as evidence in either Loach's defence or in an attempt to condemn him. So I'm not going to get to those quotes because they are 100% quoting them out of context and (laughs) making them sound worse. Like Owen Jones (laughs) did a thread on this play because he defended Ken Loach and said he was a good director and now obviously he's got to repudiate everything he ever said that's nice about Ken Loach. And he did a big thread in which he... I thought grotesquely mischaracterized Jim Allen's words to make out that he was a Holocaust denier. It was this quote from Jim Allen about this play attacks the founding... Oh, fuck it, let's find the Owen Jones thread. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I just want this specific bit. No, I wasn't looking for the trend, Owen Jones, Luke Akehurst. I don't care about that. I understood what he was saying there. <laughs> His original tweet was, Labour have kicked out Ken Loach, Britain's greatest filmmaker, whose films have moved and inspired millions while readmitting Trevor Phillips. That tells you all you need to know about the state of the current Labour Party. And then he quote tweeted that almost 10 days later to say, while I don't support the action against Ken Loach, Jewish friends and comrades were rightly upset by my tweet and the tone it took. So it's important I say this. And then he talks about perdition and he quotes Jim Allen, the author of a play, saying that the play is the most lethal attack on Zionism ever written because it touches at the heart of the most abiding myth of modern history, the Holocaust, because it says quite plainly that privileged Jewish leaders collaborated in the extermination of their own kind in order to help bring about a Zionist state Israel a state which is itself racist. And Owen Jones says, I am sure everyone is shocked at the suggestion aspects of the Holocaust are a myth. Like, I don't think that Jim Allen was saying there that the gas chambers didn't exist. I think he was making the kind of argument made by Jewish anti-Zionists such as Norman Finkelstein in his book The Holocaust Industry about how it has become for want and i think he should never have used the words holocaust and myth in the same sentence but it has become a foundational narrative of israel and a justification for its subsequent crimes and i think it's totally really like underhand and shady to take one phrase out of context in that quote like that yeah. yeah, every country has foundational myths. British birth of democracy with Magna Carta and America and all of its bullshit about 
colonial t- days being great. We well, were the first to abolish slavery because we were also <laughs> the first to make <laughs> notable use of it. Yeah, yeah we just got, got it out of our system. <laughs> <laughs> Simply exported it elsewhere. Colonialism's completely different. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, the charge that Loach is anti-Semitic or the fact that he was involved in the play Perdition was anti-Semitic or that the play was anti-Semitic, ignores the historical context and truth, I'm reading again from the Anthony Lerman piece, about the Rudolf Kastner trial, a huge controversy in Israel in the early 1950s which polarised opinion and triggered the fall of the Israeli cabinet. Kastner was a Hungarian Jewish leader who helped Jews escape from Hungary when the Nazis invaded in 1944. Many Jews in Israel, Holocaust survivors included, believed that Kastner benefited from the well-documented deal he negotiated with Eichmann, which resulted in 1,684 Jews, including members of his own family, being allowed to escape by train to Switzerland in exchange for money, gold and diamonds. Katzner was accused of failing to warn the tens of thousands of Jews who remained that their resettlement meant transport, 12,000 a day, to Auschwitz and the gas chambers, and of putting the priorities of the Zionist movement, which wanted to focus rescue efforts on bringing Jews to Palestine, above any effort to save Hungarian Jews more widely. With the support of the government, of which he was an official, he sued his main accuser for libel, but after an 18-month trial, which ended in 1955, the verdict went against him. The judge said that he had sold his soul to the devil. And then he was assassinated in 1957 by former right-wing Jewish terrorists. <laughs> I surely, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I've retired from terrorism. I just do political assassinations <laughs> as a hobby. <laughs> but clearly... This guy's reputation is a source of contestation because following his death, the Israeli Supreme Court overturned most of the original judgment. But then in 1961, the American Jewish scriptwriter Ben Hecht published a book, Perfidy, a powerful attack on Kastner, and Hecht himself was a right-wing Zionist. Whenever the Kastner affair surfaces, strong feelings among Jews are expressed. In 2007, Jaeger Elliott published an opinion piece in the Jerusalem Post calling Perfidy a devastating account of Rudolf Katzner's betrayal of Hungary and Jewry. Jerome A. Chains, writing for the Jewish Daily Forward in 2009, described Perfidy as an ill-conceived and irresponsible anti-Katzner account. Ken Loach had said that there was an effort by the Zionist lobby to stop this play being staged. This was how the mostly Jewish pro-Israel organisations described themselves at the time, and the implied charge that Ken's use of the term is anti-Semitic is groundless, so this was in 1987, remember. Even in the late 2000s, Peter Oborn was making documentaries for the BBC about the Zionist lobby. (laughs) Nice. it is <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, he was supporting the Tories at that point as well, on Peter Oborn. And it is the purpose of all lobbies to exert a powerful influence to achieve the aims of the cause they represent. Associating Jews with power can be regarded as an anti-Semitic trope, but only if the exertion of power is sinister, clandestine, conspiratorial, etc., none of which applied in this case. The groups protesting about the play did so openly and vocally, bringing pressure to bear on the the theatre to end the run. He described them as powerful. Clearly this open vocal protest was a powerful one if 
it managed to completely prevent the play from being staged. Well, according to JLM, there's no doubt about the play's malign intentions. As Owen Jones said, why would anyone on the left want to make this play? And I think, you know, that's a failure of empathy on Owen Jones's part. I think even if you don't agree with it being made ultimately, there are reasons why people might want to explore this. So... Lerman continues, I have already dealt with the way the perdition affair has been misused to prove that Mr. Loach is anti-Semitic, but I would just add one additional point. The case against him is based on quotations from a chapter in a book written by the late and very much lamented Professor David Cesarani, published 30 years ago. I edited most of the material for that book. I wrote a chapter for it. David was a friend of mine. We were joint editors of the academic journal on racism and anti-Semitism, patterns of prejudice, and we were both privileged to be members of the small advisory committee for the Holocaust exhibition at the Imperial War Museum. He mentioned these qualifications. He said, to use this 30-year-old chapter written when David was still a young scholar holding views I personally know he changed his mind about later in life is highly questionable to say the least. If the BOD think it necessary to reach back 30 years for evidence against Mr. Loach. It only demonstrates the weakness in its case. So I'd just like to correct myself. That was the submission from the Board of Deputies of British Jews, not the Jewish Labour Movement. But I think the JLM one was prior to that. There are some things that Ken Loach has said that again have been taken out of context. I think anyone who actually looks at the quotes it should be clear that Ken Loach is not a Holocaust denier. This guy continues, It is quite appalling that the POD should give credence to accusations that Ken Loach denies the Holocaust, but it is also bizarre and utterly contradictory in respect of what the BOD is protesting about in its opening accusation regarding perdition. The play he directed in 1987 was not in any sense a denial that the Holocaust took place. That it occurred is the fundamental fact of the play. What Alan questions is the degree to which Jewish leaders, in particular those involved with the Zionist movement, betrayed their fellow Jews by prioritising saving Jews for Zionist objectives, rather than saving Jews simply for the sake of keeping them alive wherever they could be found shelter. In my previous submission to the trustees of Show Racism a Red Card, the anti-racism in football organisation that Ken Loach was, until a year or two ago when controversy was kicked off about this stuff, he was a sponsor of. I commented in detail on the context and controversy of the play Perdition and the role of some Zionist leaders in Hungary during the Holocaust. As I noted, there is no reason to see Ken's directing and supporting of this play as unacceptably going beyond the bitter arguments and disagreements about Kastner that prevailed among Jews themselves. So I think, frankly, if directing, again, not writing, though nor do I think the writer of the play was a Holocaust denier or anti-Semite, if directing the play is the biggest charge against Ken Loach, I seriously remain to be convinced. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's the case, uh, the sort of rhetoric around it does not quite match the facts as far as I can see. Yeah. Yeah, it's the usual take the worst possible faith approach to anything anyone involved with that has ever done and then just about have enough to sort of lay the cancellation into existence. Like you say, if that's the strongest they've got, it's not a case for a cancellation of a 60-year career, is it? 
No, I don't think so. Um, Ken Loach is 85, isn't he? I really just think it's cruel. I'm not saying, oh, like, Henry Kissinger's an old guy, give him a break. But Ken Loach is not, like, a war criminal. He's a Ken Loach does not have a death toll attached. He's, yeah, he's, no, he he's re- not. He's he not really even a John Landis, not. let alone a Kissinger. He, <laughs> he, he is a director. He, he's an artist who has made mainly one piece of work that people find disagreeable now i think a lot of the people criticizing find his work that's about how socialism is good disagreeable as well but they're a a little cagey about stating that outright but it's just astonishing to see what was that thing earlier it's just a conversation of these fucking weirdos on twitter oh Uh, god yeah i think i saw this yeah yeah (laughs) it's just a conversation of these fucking weirdos on twitter the new advert for the real politic podcast playing (laughs) in the ad breaks and all your favorite more successful podcasts so a guy called steve cook tweeted out a thing i've no idea who wrote this but some supporter of ken loach wrote what can you do now to defend the left one of these things was arrange a showing of a ken loach film contact his company 16 films to arrange and some guy (laughs) yeah okay this guy looked absolutely like what you would think a centrist dad with no hairline would look like (laughs) and he's in front of a microphone for some reason possibly a rival podcaster but this guy steve cook says other anti-semitic filmmakers are available and some guy replies saying lenny reifenstahl to which steve cook says ouch (laughs) yeah withering wit (laughs) there david just the lack of perspective to be comparing him with lenny reifenstahl and i think someone else did like mel gibson in the same one yeah yeah they did (laughs) it's like the fucking drill tweet isn't it it's like i think ken loach is bad sees how impressed everyone is takes it one step further in fact, I think he's exactly the same as D.W. Griffith, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Mel Gibson said that Jews start all the wars in the world. Ken Loach directed a play that he did not write that said that some members of the establishment within the Jewish community were possibly complicit in the awful crime of getting more Jews killed I don't think that's quite the same argument, you know, <laughs> just if we're, if we're going to like the very worst things on their rap sheets. Lenny Riefenstahl, you put on this film and it's all just about fucking how like capitalism exploits the workers, all that shit, just showing these boring people with miserable lives, speaking with these regional accents you can't understand, they don't look like the people in the nice Hollywood movies, there's no special effects, there's no big explosions, apart from in Hidden Agenda, but then it's the IRA doing, <laughs> they watch this stuff anyway, and fundamentally it's just about all this boring shit, like how working class people should be allowed to have dignity and tolerable material conditions, and they're sitting there watching this shit like this is like Nazi propaganda to me. <laughs> Fucking freaks, man. It's just absurd, yeah. isn't it? Just ridiculous. It's not credible. It makes their criticism of Loach less credible because people yeah. who are reading it and thinking, right, this position sounds bad, not impressed with this and some of his comments, most of them are going to struggle with the reach that, yes, his work is literally like Nazi propaganda. <laughs> that, that's yeah, yeah. so far from reality. It's different from this play was pretty ill-advised 
but we're saying it's completely unconscionable versus this film is the same as the triumph of the will because <laughs> yeah. it says that the universal credit system is dehumanizing like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, it tries to shine a light on the realities of working on the train tracks or on building sites in the 80s <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Like, just watching another <laughs> film about how the conflicts between trotskyists and stalinists <laughs> derail a strike or a, a, yeah. a, a revolutionary effort or so forth in which the characters spend 15 minutes of the film all talking the issues out in a room just like i recognize this from the international jew it's just, just it's just crazy isn't it what was the one he did about the spanish civil war land and freedom that, that for that's what yeah it's like they're watching that and being like this is francoist propaganda you know <laughs> it's completely <laughs> i love they'd probably think that was good what's the revisionist take now oh, actually franco wasn't that bad on anti-semitism <laughs> whatever like you to know. be fair that's probably more a fucking spectator unheard type take yeah some yeah roaring drunk tacky and a load of dickheads that want to impress him yeah yeah what are your thoughts on the whole thing about the, th- the thorny issues raised by perdition and so forth yeah i don't really see what the problem is with ken loach like didn't even end up directing it did he but even if he did he was a director assigned to it basically would have done it if there'd been less of a fuss about it no i I mean i think it's worth saying that he did agree with the thrust of the play he's not disowned this in subsequent some of the people who pulled it at the time i think it was a director of the venue or someone like that came out like a year after the fact and was like yeah i was wrong with this i kind of caved into the pressure a bit so Shortly after it had happened, the reaction to it was going the other way. Like, actually, we've overreacted a little bit here. Again, whether that's right or wrong, I can't say without having seen the thing. Yeah. (laughs) It's sort of completely unconscionable nature was basically for a brief period at the time and then it's been resurrected in the Corbyn years like many past controversies yeah it's not something that's been burning and been held over his head for 30 years it's been like oh shit do you remember when Ken Loach did that terrible thing oh vaguely let's look it up yeah 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 no one really knows the details and the fact that this play never actually really got a public hearing is fantastic for the critics of Ken Loach (laughs) so is the the reason they got a problem with it well the reason they got a problem with it is because Ken Loach, of course, but the reason they supposedly have a problem with it, it's because they say that the Holocaust plays a role in the sort of myth-making of the Israeli state. That was certainly what Owen Jones cited as a problematic comment by Jim Allen. Which, yeah, like you said, but, um, using myth and Holocaust in the same sentence is probably politically unsound, for sure, for good reason. But Israel does have a foundation story that is mythologized. That doesn't mean everything is false. It just means that they weave together these disparate threads like the Holocaust and other stuff that's completely unrelated and say, this is why we exist. This is why we should be here. This is why we need to have an ethnostate. I don't really see what's (laughs) ultimately wrong with saying that that's the case. It's alleged that this guy, the one person criticizing the play who they cite in this piece who anthony lerman says he knows personally and is certain vastly changed his opinion on the matter in later years he says that apparently the play portrays the jews as an all-powerful force <laughs> which could have but chose not to resist the nazis in berlin budapest or washington and that sounds like a hyperbolic characterization yeah. and it makes sense that as its author got older 
he would refine his position on that. Yeah, they certainly weren't all powerful, but at the same time, the Jews did resist the Nazis in quite big ways, like with the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising and the way they blew up Treblinka. They did, yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't think the author of this play or the director of this play would deny that. No. (laughs) I don't think they're saying that Jewish people are an quote-unquote all-powerful block that just chose not... Committing racial suicide? (laughs) Yeah, it's like the thing Kanye West said during one of his mental (laughs) breakdowns, you know, that black people chose to be slaves. (laughs) It's like, it's just such an absurd thing to think think that somebody who's not a deranged far-right extremist would think. I find it implausible that that was the point that the play was attempting to make. It's, yeah. It seems like it's firmly about communal leadership. Yeah. There's a place for critique within communities of the role played by their often kind of self-appointed leadership. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, and, and I mean, you, you do see some quite rightful criticism of a lot of the leaders of the internal Jewish governments in the ghettos. They were often in this position where they usually would be trying to protect the Jews under their leadership, but also they had to work with the Nazis and pick out the people who were going to die. And that often led to some mm. extremely corrupt scenarios with some leaders who even ended up getting killed by the Jews in their own ghetto. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, like we say, there were people in Israel soon after the second world war who had zero regard for the guy who this play is about and what he'd done during the war to the point that that judge said that he'd sold his soul to the devil right <laughs> <laughs> you know so i certainly don't think that katzner is beyond criticism you know, jews I, are not a monolith I, 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 as always yeah no absolutely not and again that's the thing of owen jones stating outright like i think this ken loach is great it's a disgrace that labor are kicking him out while letting the reactionary trevor phillips back in tells you everything you need to know about the party i don't know what in that statement became untrue when jewish people he knows went to him and said that they were upset by what he tweeted i mean first of all i don't think anyone would really be there's nothing to be upset about in that statement no it was talking about ken loach's virtue as a filmmaker primarily yeah i certainly think he's a less maligned figure than trevor phillips but then he sort of then went and did an about face and said all this stuff about perdition because he said that jewish friends had reached out to him and the thing is that yeah i know jewish people who have problems with loach and are uncomfortable with things that he's said or his involvement in the play perdition but i also know a bunch who completely disagree with (laughs) and it's like my personal view is closer to one of these groups than the other i mean i said similar things to owen jones to what he initially said when Ken Loach was kicked out of a party. You know, it's ridiculous, but this is the kind of person the Labour Party is turning its back on. I'm not going to stop believing that. (laughs) I just think that, again, this thing of what my Jewish friends told me, it's so flimsy because you can find anyone from some kind of protected category who dissents from the mainstream view. There's always going to be people within any group who are just in their broad perspective closer to yours. He stated, yeah, my Jewish friends don't like Ken Loach, therefore I must condemn him. And I don't know. Mm. Well, the fact that he said it about 40 times (laughs) just makes me think, like, what do you think? 
But yeah, I can find plenty of left-wing Jewish people who really like Ken Loach. I know Elijah, who appeared on this show, is really pissed off at Owen Jones over that whole thing. But he's just hiding behind these people to like justify his own cowardice, man. Yeah. He has certain instincts to constantly equivocate and try and triangulate on this specific issue. And then he finds people who agree with his own views, who are Jewish, who can say, well, they think this, so therefore I can think this. So yeah, I do. <laughs> his initial praise of Ken Loach, I don't even know how sincere that was. I don't know which position of his is the insincere one. Right. <laughs> pretty much uh, pretty good. covered it really yeah. yeah I just want to wrap up that last point better I want to find some I thought <laughs> maybe one of you would have some something to add to that issue of like should is <sighs> you're, just saying, you're just saying words now and more words will follow <laughs> Yeah, well, well, that is how a fucking podcast works, man. Like, that is literally the idea is someone says something and then someone, while they're saying it, is thinking of the next thing to say but maybe kind of links to that and they can pick up the thread where the other person leaves off. But, like, so I've, I've just been hoping that one of you would say, yeah, I understand what you mean. Like, are my thoughts on this are... <laughs> This is why the left always fuck everything up. Someone's got to come in and say, well, actually, there's nuance to the issue. Of course there's nuance to the issue. There's no nuance to when the right collectively fucking batter you over the head with their bludgeon. There's no nuance to that. It's just big boom, 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 pulverizing you. They're not thinking about, all oh, what are the specifics here? Are we, we need to carefully caveat this. They're just like, let's throw everything at the wall to see what sticks. So sometimes it just helps to say nothing. And I know I've gone completely against that by saying lots of it's things. It's okay, we got you on the nothing front. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I opened it up for other people to speak. And <laughs> left bitterly disappointed. But fuck it, let's talk about Geronimo. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go pretty soon, so we should probably. Yeah, yeah, we'll just get yeah. a few minutes on. Yeah, Geronimo, what's this deal with Geronimo? Because I only know the Native American figure. Okay, so it's a different Geronimo. Yeah. That's what you need to know for a start. First things first, Geronimo is an alpaca. Second <laughs> things first, he has tuberculosis. That's oh. what TB is, right? Poor alpaca. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And allegedly yeah. he does. He's only tested positive for like three times or something. So apparently he <laughs> might not have it. I don't okay, quite well, I don't COVID. quite get how it works, but I believe it. I believe he's, he's well, just had you know what I say false positives several times. It's just like when there is a Labour poll lead, I say there must be something wrong with the methodology. Better give it another try <laughs> and get to the real facts. At yeah. time of recording, Geronimo is still alive. Uh, yeah, close to the time of releasing, he's fucking dead. That might not be the case by the time we, we get this out, edited. Yeah. Um, it's fucking incredible, yeah, well, I've, been, I've been waiting, it's been like the, the court denied his appeal. <laughs> this motherfucker's on death row. The woman who owns it is just like throwing money at like keeping him alive and stuff. She's gonna put two identical alpacas in the field with him so the fucking feds don't know which alpaca to cap. <laughs> she's gonna, she's gonna, she's gonna die the alpaca's cap. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'll cap an alpaca. 
<laughs> That's what they say, these feds. But so obviously, Keir Starmer came out and he bayed for the blood of this alpaca. <laughs> yeah. So prior to that, the government, whatever the relevant minister is, whenever he'd been asked about it, when it was starting to become a controversy, was like, of course, this is never easy, but we unfortunately think it's the right thing to do. You can't take risks with this sort of thing. It is the law. And then out of nowhere, like, there's just this headline, Geronimo the alpaca must be destroyed because <laughs> Keir Starmer or something. <laughs> yeah. so, there is no... No alternative yes. to the death of Geronimo the Alpaca, says Keir Starmer. Yeah, I think that was literally <laughs> it. But... I can't remember who, but someone said, like, the minute that you realise that people were referring to this furry animal by its first name, you should mm. have got the fuck out of there and definitely yeah. not called for it to be killed. <laughs> Just don't comment on it or say, look, you know... Well, sorry, I've got to go. Uh, yeah. Look over there, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, bye. <laughs> it's the one thing he's good at is simply not commenting on things the Tories are sort of wading into that might harm them. <laughs> yeah. like, I will set out my vision for how to deal with the issue of Geronimo the alpaca. The and alpaca I will menace. set it out and it will be a vision that I will set out. Like, why didn't he just do his usual shit? Just say absolutely nothing. Instead, he was just like, well, he even used the fucking there is no alternative. He fucking quoted fucking Margaret Thatcher. This fucking fool. So immediately, of course, when he's done that, everyone's dunking on him, but several people making the point that the Tory government are going to kill this alpaca and fucking Starmer's going to be associated with wanting to do it more than they are. (laughs) People are like... They've delayed it a couple of times, whereas Starmer's just like, nah, fucking kill the bastard. There's the usual people who are like, usual fucking killjoys going, well, actually, you know that the alpaca needs to die because of tuberculosis, in which I just say, shut the fuck up like simply don't comment on it like the important thing is that keir starmer looks like a fool and is embarrassed who gives a fuck about tuberc i would gladly die a painful death of tuberculosis if it meant that keir starmer slipped further in his personal approval ratings I would be happy to take that risk. Shut the fuck up, you boring fucking people. Oh, you gotta do is to prevent the spread of easily preventable diseases. No, you haven't. You've got to make things uncomfortable for Keir Starmer. Two things. Priorities. Sim- two things he simply cannot keep calm around alpacas and cyclists. Anything <laughs> else? Nice forensic politician very sensible very deliberate either of those and the red mist descends gets his fucking hammer out freaking the fuck out of chris bryant and just starts tearing into them wait what's the chris bryant thing so someone posted when he was absolutely shitting himself on twitter a couple of weeks ago in public someone responded to him with like the sideshow bob treading on loads of rakes gifts oh yeah and yeah then, he was then, like, are you gonna brutally murder yeah, me by stabbing then, me in the neck with a rake the, no the, the, cap, the captions one of the captions had something like chris bryant hammering the tweet button or something like that and he responded to it are you saying you want to kill me with hammers and people were like no no no, look the rakes look at the gif it's rakes and he said it says hammers mate <laughs> i genuinely think he's an idiot <laughs> suffered some sort of traumatic brain injury he just can't pass twitter at all this is the guy that i tweeted the wayne rooney do you want picked up in the morning tweet to him and he's like what from where who are you 
<laughs> no thanks, I've already got a lift sorted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such an idiot. Hillary Ben was being a right tit on Twitter the other day, wasn't he? Because he was like, all these people saying that the Taliban are a national liberation <laughs> movement. I'm like, oh yeah, that's Everyone all we're was saying. Like, on who's Mahada. saying that? And he was like, Yes, it's the Prime Minister of Pakistan. Yeah, he's dominating <laughs> it's like... the discourse before you <laughs> shut him down, mate. People say that this guy is like this Titus, this Colossus, this leader in waiting. But this guy is such a pussy that he had to subtweet the Prime Minister of Afghanistan. I was talking too quickly here for my slow, stoned mind. Obviously, I meant Pakistan. Who is undoubtedly too busy to respond to him if he treated him directly. Yeah. I mean coward this cowardly speaking of, man speaking of labor mps absolutely shitting themselves on the timeline while we've been broadcasting you know the other day stella creasy got absolutely dunked on for being like yes isis and never the taliban to me again they're friends what if they team up and everyone was responding <laughs> to it like no they've been at war for five years they hate each other here's the loads, jihadist here, avengers here's loads of articles about it well she's obviously been stewing about that for days because today she's tweeted, the Kabul airport is the most tightly controlled Taliban area in Afghanistan. If ISIS can operate there as it appears they have, recognise this situation isn't as simple as Twitter has taught you. The head of security for the Taliban has strong links to ISIS-K for starters. And then she's tried to dunk on someone else who's just called a shit for brains. And she's tweeted like a CNN article to try and back her up. And then the CNN article has a big paragraph in it with a subheading, ISIS and the Taliban, mutual loathing. All about how they hate each other and are at war and have been for years. The golden rule, copyright Tom Gann, you need to remember, is that... Everything a liberal says is complicated is simple, <laughs> and everything a liberal says is simple is complicated. <laughs> Words of wisdom. I just can't wait to see her future takes on Middle Eastern politics, because she seems to take an interest in it entirely to try and double and quadruple down on her getting it wrong the other day. And probably just yeah. whatever drunken shit Dan Fox is spouting at two in the morning. Oh, oh yes, that must be true. Wanker. Well, I am... Dog tired, very fucking high, uh, very fuck not high enough actually. <laughs> it's worn off now. I've had a lot of zoots today, but I need more. I think Geraint wants to go, and it, it. I didn't have as much to say about Geronimo as I thought I would. No, you know? no, I'd say the moment's past. It'll flare up again when he dies. But, but um... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I well, I hope that doesn't happen because the longer Geronimo is kept alive, every day. Keir Star- what Keir Starmer said is wrong. I want him to go on the run. I want like, <laughs> proper. I want him to have like an, an entourage that I'm trying to disguise him as a human and like take him in the pub and stuff. And, like, get, get, him, get him to a safe house. In fact, I then want to see, in five years' time, I want to see Ken Loach direct the movie of it in like a Looking for Eric sort of slightly, slightly, slightly more comedy elements than usual way. Yeah, Geronimo can play himself. Yes. Because yeah. he'll still be alive. Like I say, it's imperative he does not die. Every day, oh, actually, every I specifically, second... specifically want to see Geronimo taking instructions from an imaginary Eric Cantona in his head. <laughs> every second that Geronimo is still alive, Keir Starmer is wrong. <laughs> Just remember that. He said there was no alternative to his death. Well, until Geronimo is dead in the yeah. ground, the alternative has been proven. The alternative so, is life. <laughs> it is life. Or death from tuberculosis, but you know that's a cost I'm willing to pay. 
<laughs> what should I call this episode? Not proper name, I just mean like in my file. I'm that tired, I can't think what to put. Uh, I'll put Papa Loach. Oh yeah, I tweeted Papa Loach, and loads of people started atting me with what I assume were variations. Ken Loach themed variations on Papa Roach lyrics. I say I assumed because I have never heard a fucking Papa Roach song in my life. <laughs> you've, never, you've never heard Last Resort? Well, I mean, I might have in some context. I have never sat. I've never. Wait, how does that go, Garine? Sing it. No. Oh, come on. No. <laughs> Coward. It's the one that everyone riffs on because like, they're the fucking lyrics. Something, something. This is my last resort, but it's like all about the self harm and stuff, and they're just absolute assholes in the video. It's funny. Hang on, I'm cut my life now. into pieces. Yeah, you'll have, have heard it. You'll have heard last resort at some point. That is their only hit as well. Like they had a, a couple of other singles. I don't actually recognise. I don't actually recognise this at all. I looked it up on YouTube just now. Yeah, honestly, I'm blissfully ignorant of this band. Because it had the lyric that was like, don't give a fuck if I cut my arm bleeding, and then they had like a really clumsy radio edit that was like, don't give a if I cut my arm bleeding. And, like, oh, so they kept in the cell phone. Yeah, the cell phone message is fine, but you can't say fuck on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so oblivious to that kind of music. I watched Woodstock 99 the other day, and I was just like, I actually thought the new metal bands got a really bad rap in it, even I despised all of their music. <laughs> I, I was like, look, obviously it's a terribly organised festival in so many ways, but it's the organiser's fault. If you book Fred Durst, he's going to put on an aggressive show. That's just what he does. It's his job. He's not going to perform a different show. You hire someone for your festival and they're going to do their show. DMX is going to use the N-word a lot. The way that they talk about the artists and that is bullshit. I've but literally I... just learned that in 2010, Carlos Santana did a version of Smoke on the Water with Jacoby Shaddix from Papa Roach. And there is now nothing <laughs> on this world that I want to hear more than that. But I caveat that I don't blame the aggressive bands for causing riots at Woodstock 99 with the fact that I do think all their music was fucking awful. <laughs> Although actually, I like Rage Against the Machine, and they yeah. kind of depoliticised Rage Against the Machine. They just focused on the like, fuck you, I'm They're angry. you told me stuff. Yeah. But that's one lyric that you can kind of take out of context and say, oh, it's just a fairly aimless kind of anger and rage. But Rage Against the Machine are not aimless. They're like, the World Trade Organization! <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> they're like, read no logo! <laughs> like, that's like what their lyrics are like. Globalization sucks! <laughs> they're one of the most pointed bands in terms of where they direct their anger and they just like treated them in the documentary as practically the same as Limp Biscuit or whatever who to reiterate we're just doing their thing this is an absolutely incredible lineup what Woodstock what? 99 yeah yeah no tell me about it it's so funny some of the sops to the original Woodstock like the guitarist from the doors Robbie Krieger played with Creed <laughs> <laughs> like wow, that's the team up. Career highlight, yeah. 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 <laughs> I think oh, yeah. there were like well, three female there's, artists there's, in the there's whole a festival. Through line to it, it's like yes, I only perform in bands where the lead singers think they're Jesus Christ for some reason. <laughs> They've got nothing else in common, but there is that. Yeah, Woodstock. Not that documentary is awful. Maybe we'll talk about I'm it on not, the show I'm not sometime. Seen the documentary. It's pretty funny when 
Kid Rock's like, oh, I'm going to get political. Monica Lewinsky <laughs> is a fucking hoe. And Bill Clinton <laughs> is a fucking pimp. Like, this guy is a political sage. Damn. It's just like Jimi Hendrix playing the Star Spangled Banner all over again. It's political potency. That was the funniest bit. If there was one bit where I think it was Dexter from The Offspring... He was being really woke, you know, in a genuinely good way of telling guys in the crowd not to sexually harass and grope women. But then he basically said that women should sexually harass and grope the guys. He was just like, if you see a guy, grab his nuts. Like, <laughs> if he's like being lifted over you or whatever. <laughs> so I just imagine guys like trying to crowd surf, just having their nuts like crushed. <laughs> like... <laughs> At, at the say so of fucking rocket scientist or brain surgeon or whatever the fuck he is, Dexter from the Offspring. Like he does some mad intellectual shit in his downtime. But Woodstock ninety nine, baby. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about that some other time. On that note, RP out. Yes. Peace. You are hiding a child. 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 Child.